Some books are burdens. The road is a burden. My absolute darling is a burden. Nanjing is a burden. We don't read them to escape. We read them to understand the darkness within us and within existence. The first and only time I read The Road by Cormac McCarthy, I was terrified by the truth of the book. Though the subject was speculative, the abject misery of the father and son trudging through a dying planet filled with desperate people was familiar because it is the fate of cultures torn apart by war and famine. That truth was oppressive and terrifying. I remember many times wanting to put the book away and move on to anything happier and lighter. But I held out hope that McCarthy would offer me something at the end to cling to. A small light in the very dark world he had created. And he did. It became one of the most impactful reads of my life because of that small flame of optimism. And that's what we are discussing today. The stories that are almost too heavy to carry. So, Kristen Grace. Charles Martin. We're about to talk about a lot of sad stuff, so let's start by telling a joke. Oh, okay. Do you have a joke ready? Because I got a joke ready. I, w I figured you did, or you wouldn't have brought it up. Right. So tell me your joke. Okay. <laughs> so why did the hipster not eat the piece of pizza? No, wait. Okay, hold on. Let's back up. <laughs> why did the hipster burn his mouth on the piece of pizza? Slice of pizza. I don't know why. Because he ate it before it was cool. Do you have a, a joke locked and loaded? No, you didn't warn me. You oh. didn't tell me it was going to be joke time. Well, we, we kind of need jokes because we got, we got some heavy stuff to talk about. I think our listeners are mature enough that they can handle listening to us talk about really depressing but wonderful books for the length of this podcast without okay. really bad jokes. That joke is wonderful. That was a horrible joke. One of our worked at Upper Crust. It's a yeah. pizza place. Right. Like, yeah, that, that joke was one of my favorite go-tos. Did you tell it to your clients? Yeah, probably like too the, many times. It wasn't you, my joke, though. Did they tip you after you told it? Yeah, despite. <laughs> I'm not really a jokey guy whenever I wait tables. <laughs> so whenever I do it, it always comes off weird. Right. <laughs> but I okay. do it anyways. Okay. okay, so the reason that we wanted to choose this particular subject is because of... Okay, because we both read a book recently called My Absolute Darling by Gabriel Talent. I read it first and I talked Charles into reading it. And it is so, so good. But it is also so hard to read for several reasons. And we really want you to read it too. We want every, everyone who can handle it to read it. Yeah. But so we, we decided to talk about all the books that we love and that were very much worth reading that were tough tough to get through yeah right? absolutely okay. yeah because yeah so the big trigger I mean there's a lot of triggers and my absolute darling but yes. the, the biggest one is uh, incest yes and it is and it is it is described and yeah. there are several instances where it's described um, and it's tough to read and I think the reason why you can get through those scenes so, Lolita is another book that deals with sexual child abuse and incest, and it is much more disturbing 
than my absolute darling because the narrator is male, the narrator is the abuser, and the narrator is describing it um, in a way that you can tell he is um, enjoying the abuse of this child, and it's horrifying. Um, uh, it's very, it's incredibly disturbing to read. Um, in My Absolute Darling, the narrator of the book is the person being abused. She's 14 years old. Um, and so it's horrifying, but in a different way. The entire time you're rooting for her to find her way out. And it's a more hopeful read because of how strong she is. And the writer the whole time has invested her with so much strength, so much intelligence, like this searing courage. Um, it's somehow, because you, you're in the mind of the protagonist, how would you describe it? Like, it, it's a different read, and I think it's a more hopeful read than Lolita, which feels defeatist the, yeah. the entire time. Yeah, and I haven't read Lolita. I had it in my collection because um, it was, you know, a book of which had lots of acclaim. Yeah. Um, but before I got to reading it, I just I had talked to enough people that their explanation of it made me decide that I just didn't want to spend time in that. Yeah. In that story yeah and in that character's head um so the story of my absolute darling is about turtle that's the main character yes yeah 14 years old she has she lives out in the middle of nowhere with her father and feels absolute com most comfortable out in nature um and her father has pushed on her uh, the survivalist mindset there is she's set up to she's set up to um to overcome this yeah so there's no question in the book that this is eventually going to happen right. she doesn't realize that she right. never has that in her head she just you know the moment arrives and she handles it but in the reader's mind this will end this cannot, this we cannot, know this it's going yeah, to. This we know, cannot, she cannot, doesn't know. know, and we're waiting for her to make that realization. Yeah. And that's where the drama comes yeah. from, I think, is when yeah. is she, when is she going to realize it? Yeah, and a big part of, a big part of what makes this book so worthwhile, because it is a very heavy book, it's mm -hmm. a very, very, very hard book to read, um, because everything is so explicit, is there turtle has lived in this world all 14 of your years and she has always known this reality and it uh, doesn't ever go into when the abuse started but there's a but pretty much when her mother dies her mother dies before the story even happens so it's not a spoiler mm -hmm. um, that's when her father goes downhill um, but um, if it was it ever made clear when that moment happened because I, I can't remember there being a time, but young. I feel that it was probably a progression. Yeah. A slow progression into that. Yeah. Into the abuse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, and he kind of replaced his wife with... The daughter. With, with, with the daughter. Um, so it's her living with this, and then at 14, she's reached a point in her life where she realizes this is not normal. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is wrong, what they're doing. 
And so the book is really her journey of going from being in love with her father mm -hmm. um, to uh, realizing that her father is wronging her and other people and knowing that the only person who can deal with this is her. Right. So that journey is what makes it worth it. And it really is a book that if it, if it did not have the ending that it had, and we won't go into that, but if it did not have the ending it had, um, I would have never read another book of his ever again. Yeah. Ever again. Yeah. reading it I to say another another good thing about why it's worthwhile uh, the, the character turtle is so captivating and and she's a hard character like she's a she doesn't present as lovable to other people she's very hard she's cold to people at school she's she doesn't have any other friends she has nothing outside of this relationship with her father at first. But there's something so, you you care about her so much. I would like keep this book beside me when I slept at night. I would like keep it with me when I was watching a movie. I woke up one night at like four in the morning. I had to go to the bathroom. I came back to bed and I was like, I could easily fall asleep, sleep for another few hours. I think I'll read, I, I need to see how Turtle's doing. So at four in the morning I was reading like I read it in three days, I couldn't put it down because you care so much about this girl and you want her to be okay so much, it's difficult to put it down once you start reading it. Yeah. And that's a good writer too that can make you care yeah. for someone so much in yeah. spite of the difficulty and the ugliness of her circumstances, you can't stop reading. Yeah, you develop a really true like connection. Right, like, I feel like she's with me now. Like yeah. I, she's a character in the book I'll never forget. You know. Yeah, and the well, all the characters are really well drawn. Um, mm -hmm. The um, the two uh, two teenagers that she happens upon in the woods who are lost, their dialogue is <laughs> just I mean some of the best dialogue I've read in yes. years. Just it just sparkles because they're both just really intelligent but also very very much numbskulls. And it's so fun just listening to them talk and seeing Turtle react to the way that they talk. Right. Um, and then, yeah, and the other peripheral characters that come into this situation, um, all very, very, very real. So, and, and Turtle's voice is so authentic, um, as told by the, uh, by the kind of omnipotent uh, uh, narrator. The, yeah, that it's, there are things he knows about each character that is almost uh it's almost like a bit of magic like like it really is um yeah the spectacle is how much he knows these characters yeah it's yeah. very impressive yes almost intimidating as a writer reading something like that yeah i i love those teenage boys i thought they were fantastic yeah and yeah, the, yeah their dialogue it was like so funny mm -hmm. that was those were such bright notes in and the needed. book and needed, needed. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this is definitely one of those books that you have to prepare yourself for, mm -hmm. but it is absolutely going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal.
So, what's another book that you want to discuss? Another heavy read? I, you know, I was thinking, I was listening to your opening uh-huh. when you were talking about the road, and I was thinking about the first, the first time I read a book that I thought this is, and it, you know, when I read The Lord of the Flies in eighth grade. Okay, so I just moved to a new school, and it was a tough move. It was like, I, it was such, you know, it's junior high, it's a tough move. And I was surrounded by kids who seemed, you know, to me at that time, mean. Girls and guys, just like, it was like a mean group of kids. It was a tough move. I had left a lot of friends behind. I felt very alone. And I'm reading this book, and one of the comprehension questions or whatever that we had to write an essay about was, you know, do you think, if it was a group of your school friends and you on this island, you know, do you think something like this could happen? And I remember, like, looking around at their faces and thinking, hell yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Sticks sharpened, both ends. Yes, these kids, uh-huh, on an island. But it's it's so gruesome because it's these kids wanting to murder and torture one another. And they're, like, you know, 12, 13, mm. you know, years old. And that was, for me, thinking about, like, if we took away, which William Golding had been, you know, a pilot in World War One, I, I think, and had seen all of this, basically people taken out of society and the rules yeah. Yeah. Um, of society that keep people acting safe and moved into a different arena and acting incredibly violent killing one another, ripping one another to pieces, mm. blowing each other up in a way that they would never have acted back home mm. under a different set of laws. And this book, The Lord of the Flies, was his way of trying to understand. You know, you put people in a different situation, you change the rules, and suddenly they will act this way. And I was just like, yeah, I can see that. I think we all have that part of part of ourselves. Like, mm. If, I, if this is the only way I have to survive, maybe I could do that. Maybe I would do that. Mm. Um, and it was like the darkest thought I, would, I had ever had up until that point. Yeah. You know, that I'm surrounded by this group of people, and we're sitting here quietly, and we're following the rules. But if everything changed, we might try to kill one another. Mm. And we're just kids, yeah. you know. Yeah. But maybe it's good to know that. Yeah. It's good to have that, and then... Then that being a jumping off point to, well, what is morality? Well, what is ethics? Well, what is, you know? Okay, let's talk about another fun one. Okay. (laughs) So, okay, so what's, in, yeah. So the road, um, yeah. and we've talked about this before um, yeah. on the show, but it's, so the road's about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, you briefly find out, like get a glimpse of what happened to start the world on its process of dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really not that critical. Um, so the entire book is really just this father and son wandering this hellscape trying to find life any kind of life that's not human mm-hmm. uh, because all the plants are dying all the trees are dying uh everything is dying all uh the water is um poisoned and 
Um, it is scraping by, but you know, as opposed to like maybe The Walking Dead, where, well, yeah, the zombies are bad, the humans are kind of bad, but if you can just wall up, yeah, you can you know grow your food. There is no growing food, so it's basically the entire planet is starving. Right. And and it is kind of that same way that it is a good man and is a good kid, right? And that good man is trying to tell this kid where the good guys, where the good guys, where the good guys. Okay, but, that's. That's what made it so interesting to me. And that's what made it so different from other Cormac McCarthy books. It's he's got this kid with him. And he is a good dad. And he does, he's trying to keep his kid good-hearted in this world that's just gone to hell. The world's a nightmare, but he wants to keep his son good-hearted. Yeah. And that is what makes it different from every other Cormac McCarthy book I've ever read. Yeah. Because that, of that intention. Yeah. Because in all these other books, you've got sometimes like the young cowboys, like there's John Grady Cole and there's Billy Parham. They're losing their innocence, but they're not responsible for anyone else. Yeah. Or you've got guys who've already lost their innocence and they're just like trying to make it, mm-hmm. you know, because they can't die or whatever. But in this one, the dad's only goal in his life, even when he has to do bad things sometimes to keep mm-hmm. his son alive. Yeah. And the son is like watching this, like, I thought you said we were the good guys. I thought you said we carried the fire. Mm-hmm. And the dad is like, I, I want him to be good, and mm-hmm. I want him to know there's a difference between good and bad, but I've also got to feed him and keep him alive. Yeah. And that was like, it was such an interesting uh, a thing to read. Yeah. You know, it was such a, it was such a light uh, in the difference of the darkness of some of his other books. Yeah. And... It did such a good job of capturing the power of fear and trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and this is, I, is a little bit of a spoiler, but the book's been out for a long, long time. So get over yourself and read it. There is a point where they're in a uh, a place that is very protected, well, really well provisioned, and the father has a persistent cough throughout the book, and. Because uh, he's basically just ammonia. Yeah. Um, so they finally get to this little oasis. Uh, it's not an actual oasis, but um, a metaphorical oasis. And they have a time where they could just stop and just ride out the winter, let his father heal up, and they'd be fine. But his father is so afraid of getting off the road. Um, basically, as long as you're moving, you're fine. But once you stop, then you become vulnerable. And that's his fear. So they have this place that's hidden, that is well-provisioned, and would allow him an opportunity to heal up so that he can be healthy to get to the next point. But he can't do it. Yeah. He has to get back on the road. so so angry at the father yeah so angry at the father I understood it wasn't like a bad storytelling model where you're like oh why would they do that right like that happens like in The Walking Dead again that happens all the time where you're just like that's just stupid why would they do that (laughs) and I still like the series but like there's a lot of times where it's just like okay well I need to make conflict so I'm just gonna do this yeah this decision makes sense for that character absolutely yeah but as a 
witness, you're just furious. You're just like, just stay. Yeah. Stay. You're in no condition to travel. Stay. And he doesn't. Yeah. But at the end of the book, um, again, there's there's just enough given to the yeah. reader that it makes this it makes this journey you've gone on with these characters worthwhile. Right. It makes it worth it. It's not a big happy ending where all of a sudden, like, you know, I don't know, like cities just magically sprout up and greens everywhere and all that. It's right. nothing like that, but it's right. enough. It yeah. gives you just enough. Right. Yeah. So, so, so we're kind of talking about in this one too, in um, in Room, the book Room. Oh gosh, yeah. Okay, who wrote that? Let me look it up really quick because we were talking about it. Um, you've got someone who um, the rules of the game, in as far as like how you behave, how you act, the stories you tell, the way you treat people change when you're taken out of your normal environment mm-hmm. and you're putting in a different environment. I, I chose chose this for a book club once. How did, did that go? How did that go? <laughs> did not go over. I mean, the, there were a couple of people who really dug it, but the yeah. rest of them were just like, I do not want this in my head. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Emma Donahue. Room by Emma Donahue. I did not watch the movie because I couldn't go through that again. Mm-hmm. Couldn't go through it again. So, I, the, yeah. the, so the story is... Uh, it's told from the perspective of like a eight to ten year old somewhere. I can't remember what the exact age range was. See, I would. I think when it, the book started, maybe he was five. That that you could be right. Okay. I think five, but now the movie it seems like he's a little older. I think maybe he was five, but he was advanced just because. Yeah. The, the mom just they had nothing to do. Right. Because they were trapped in this room together. Right. Um, and why they were trapped there and the circumstances were beyond the child. So. Right. Um. The story is told entirely through his voice, so he just he does not know that there is a world beyond this room. Yeah. I, he 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 understands that there is a man that comes in from time to time from outside of the room, but his entire knowledge base is whatever is inside. Yeah. That what ten by ten room or eight by eight yeah. room. Um. So you get to hear his slow um his slow realization that the world is bigger than this room um it, entirely through his voice and it's so convincingly done yes it is rough yeah and describing things he doesn't know what he's seeing but the reader does right it's it's uh it's very emotional so that so the premise is and this doesn't give too much away like the mother was kidnapped maybe as like a 16 or 17 year old and the kidnapper put her in this room which is basically like a a soundproof shed and you know because of her attacker kidnapper raped her she eventually had this child and she's never been out of this room for like six seven years so she's raised the baby in this room and he occasionally comes and brings some food and whatever but she's just there and so, you know, she hopes and schemes and is trying to imagine that one day she can figure out a way to get them out without getting killed. Um, but yeah, but to the child, the whole world is this one room and his ma. That's it. So he doesn't say the lamp. He says lamp. Mm-hmm. There's lamp. Because for him, the whole world just has one lamp. Mm-hmm. It's just lamp. So it's... Um, it's, it sounds like it would be incredibly dark, and it's strange because 
for the child, this is just life. This is just mm-hmm. his world. So it's not for yeah. most of it. He's not depressed. He's just describing his life. Yeah, you don't feel the child's fear mostly because the child is so acclimated. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and yeah, that it's another one that the ending is spectacular, absolutely spectacular. I mean, it's really yeah. complicated, um, and it's not a clean ending. But it, it, you know, I I with these kinds of books, I don't like clean endings. I like mm-hmm. complicated endings. Yeah. But with something to hope for, but kind of also a good deal of reality that yeah, you know, the world's not a better suddenly a better place. some people like or can enjoy reading heavy books a lot of heartache a lot of pain heavy topics and some people really don't want that in their books that they read well it's what you choose to get from your entertainment um for pure escapism a lot of people read because they're trying to escape life and and that's absolutely i mean we all have that we all have that um and they may they may feel you know i i have this very stressful job i have a family life that is very um that take drains a lot from me um whether good or bad it still does i just don't have the emotional reserves for this yeah um and there you know we all have a certain amount of energy and we can only point that energy in so many directions and whenever you read a heavy book a book that's very emotionally charged you have to point energy at it you have to point energy at it um or a book that's really dense and complex you that that's a lot of effort and energy that you're pointing towards it and not everybody has that right so whenever they read they want to read something that is that is light and fun and and gratifying throughout so it's it's like I don't know you got not everybody's gonna go to you know a five-hour you know symphony you know not everybody's got that kind of time that kind of energy to point at so I think we all find we all have our priorities of where we want to and none's necessarily any better or worse than others so people who are like well I just read young adult fantasy that's all I read right cool just keep reading these books are not for everyone right right Sparrow. Have you read The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell? No, that's one of the ones that's on my list. Like, everybody says I, I need to read it, and I just, I haven't got around to it yet. Okay. So, this is one of the ones I was going to talk about. Okay. Um, I, I think you would love it. Okay. But, I mean... That's the word on the street. No pressure. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people, like, I'll have a bunch of people tell me that I should read a certain book, and it kind of, like, I kind of get my back up. I'm like, get off my case. I'll read it I'll read it eventually. Right. And then when I finally read it, I'm like, oh, that's why everyone was telling me. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> but I, I sometimes I, it gets on my nerves when I have like six people tell me. I'm mm. like, 
you don't know me. And then I'll read it and I'll be like, they knew me. They really knew me. Okay, so this book, The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. It's so, okay, so there is a religious element to this book. And it's great because I don't, I think for people who are religious, it's great. Mm. For people who are not religious at all, it's great. Like, it's like one of those books that can be enjoyed by everyone. Right. It's not offensive. It's like the Bible. <laughs> much like the Bible. Much like the Bible. Or the Quran. So, the, okay, so it starts out where we have finally received some type of contact from another planet. Mm-hmm. And it is music. And it's beautiful. And this is beautiful music. So we know it's intelligent life. We know they're artistic. They have bothered to send us this message. So, the Catholic Church, and and this is in the future, it's like, I think it's set in like 2049, but it was written, you know, 20 years ago. Unless you're listening to this in the year 2049. 2049. (laughs) Um, So, the Catholic Church decides, wouldn't it be cool if this is the next mission field for the Catholic Church? So, let's sponsor the space travel trip. And send a missionary with, with all the astronauts and scientists and linguists. Yeah. We'll we'll send a missionary to witness to the. Yeah. So they do, and oh, the cool thing is every single person that ends up going is like wonderful. Like, the missionary is amazing. Mm-hmm. The linguist, the biologist, the botanist, the astronauts, like the entire group of people is amazing, and they bond and they're friends. And they go, and I think on the very first page, you know, it kind of talks about what the goal was to reach out in love and intelligence and forge this new wonderful connection. And it said something like, the last sentence of the intro is, they, they meant no harm. Oops. And then you, and it's like, I've got to read this. Yeah. And so I love sci-fi that uh, really sits hard on an, um, anthropology. Mm. I think that's fascinating where... Um, we're really going to try to understand a different species, but mm-hmm. that takes years and years, and even really to understand other languages. If you're not a native speaker, there's so much that you miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just talks about how they went, and they made contact and did everything they could to make it happen right. But the most wonderful character in the book, I think, is the priest. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fantastic. And the things that happen have him call into a lot of question, like his faith. Mm-hmm. And it is heavy yeah. and gorgeously written. I mean, it's just so beautiful. Um, yeah, I, that absolutely sounds like along my strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got a spare copy. I might take that one home. Yeah, um, I think you'd love it. So soon to literati, a lightly used copy of The Sparrow. <laughs> right. Um, well loved, yeah. So this is completely off track, but I'm gonna say it anyways. So there's this episode of Star Trek and you definitely sound like a Star Trek gal. Um, I've, what, yeah. So there's this episode of Star Trek. I think it's the I, uh, uh, the Picard. What was that? What a, new, Voyager. Yeah. yeah. I think it's Voyager. Um, and they, uh, through a series of events, that so there's this uh, planet with this young culture um, that they've been studying. But not interacting with. They don't want to be known. They want to just see how it develops. Okay. And it is a non-theist um, religion or a non-theist um, 
uh, culture. They've never yeah. had a God concept ever. Right. So one of the characters accidentally, like, something happens and they, like, s step in to save one of the people in the in the, in the culture. And Oops. Uh, obviously <laughs> the next, and then they disappear again. So the next, this, so they're like, oh, shit, it's a God. There's a God something. Yeah. You know, they, and they start developing the idea of a God for the first time ever. Right. And... Um, and so they're all, so, the, you know, the person who did it, I can't remember who it was, um, goes up and everybody's mad at him because they're like, you just screwed this up. Right. It's the first, like, non-theist early culture we've ever encountered, and now they've got a god because right. of you. You blew it. <laughs> yeah. And so they're trying to figure out how to roll it back. Right. How to roll it back to say, no, no, it's not a god. And I... I was really interested. I, I I thought the episode was more interesting than it was good. Yeah. I remember being like, oh, there's a lot to dig in here, but yeah. they just didn't do quite as good a job. Also, I was I was at OVU, and it was during my sure. Christian phase. Right. Um, so I was really, I wasn't sure how to take it. Yeah. Because, like, I was, um, I was at a Christian university. I was doing my darndest to try and make this whole faith thing work. Right. Which it didn't, didn't take. Um, and so like having something like that, that kind of spoke to my atheist developings before, like I tried to take a second swing at God was kind of hard to, yeah, yeah, translate. Okay, so there we have a graphic novel called Nanjing by Ethan something. Um, you, and uh, Ethan I haven't Young. read Nanjing, so you'll have yeah. to tell. Yeah. Ethan Young. So it was is set in World War Two, okay. and it's during the invasion of Nanjing, China, yeah. and uh, which was uh, by the Japanese, and it was a complete massacre. Um, yeah, it just burned the city to the ground. We're just executing everyone that came across. Um, and it's the story of this one particular uh, soldier trying to survive. Unflinching, unflinching. You know, a, a war is well-tread ground, and World War II specifically is very well-tread ground. But um, I think, at least in the U.S., we don't have a lot of exposure to what happened um, to the Chinese during that time. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. So this was, yeah, this was really, really fascinating, but it was very, very hard because it was just kind of that Game of Thrones, like don't emotionally invest in any of the characters because they're going to be dead pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so it had that just every step of the way. You're just like, oh, God. Um, and it's, being a graphic novel makes it a little bit easier because you don't actively immerse yourself the same way as you do with a book mm -hmm. or at least for me uh but this one was definitely it was it was a rough read um this one didn't have a huge like glimmer of hope payoff at the end but i think because it was historical made it a little bit more acceptable because the world did go on and china obviously has rebounded and um, the Japanese government has, you know, offered their my bads 
for the things that happen in China, maybe not to the same extent as some would like, but you know, mm -hmm. the world has gone on. Yeah. Versus uh, reading a fiction where you just, you don't know if the world's going to go on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's just yeah, that one and uh, the lines of Baghdad were like two of, and that was by Brian K. Vaughan. Yeah. Um, two of my favorite kind of nonfiction. Well, probably Baghdad. It was based on true events, but right. know, definitely a fictionalized account. But um, looking at war in a way that was very, I mean, just knowing the situation, you know where this is going to end up and it's nowhere good. So that made it very, a very hard but satisfying read because you feel enlightened about the mistakes of the past. Yeah. Um, it may not give you much in the way of hope, but at least gives you better perception maybe. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, you know, Infinite Jest, okay, now, I'm not saying yeah. anything bad about Infinite Jest, but I, you know, like, I was like, I'm reading 100 pages of this a day. This was before I had Harper's, and I was a school nurse, so, like, when I got done with the day, I was done, but I read 100 pages of that a day, and I was like, I'm doing it, I'm reading this book, and there were parts of Infinite Jest that were captivating and heavy and heart-tugging and fascinating. And there were parts of it that were a grind. Yeah. That I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna get through it. Um, and I'm really glad I did. On the whole, it was totally worth it, and I'm glad. But it was, you know, parts of the story that he told, especially about people um, who were in the halfway house. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, were amazing, um, and heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, he told the story about the mom who'd been on crack or meth and her baby had died because she'd been high for so long and her baby had died in the crib. And so when she came out of the drugs, she was, she found the, her baby and it was dead and she wrapped up in a blanket and they couldn't get it out of her arms. Like mm -hmm. she was just walking around with a dead baby. Yeah. And it was like, I couldn't, like I was crying and I, you know, um, but he made those, he made those people so real. And I wonder, you know, David Foster Wallace had addiction issues and went to AA and lived in a halfway house and um, probably heard a lot of people t tell their stories. Hmm. But he wrote those people with so much um, empathy and love, you know? Yeah. He wasn't writing yeah. them um, in this very moralistic way. And so those were my favorite parts of the book, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I wish... I mean, in the Infinite Jazz is kind of talking about how yeah. we're, we're entertaining ourselves to death, basically. Yeah. And so drugs and alcohol had a lot to do with that. Yeah. You know, the constant entertaining, entertaining, feed me, feed me, uh, you know, until we were dead or our babies are dead. Yeah. Or, But um, those parts were written so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, it, it, Infinite Jest really is designed to be read over a long stretch of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not a book that you push through yeah. or at least I'm not I refuse to push through it yeah like once I yeah. once I feel too 
too either bored or frustrated or exhausted by it, then I put it down and I come back to it later. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those stretches are a little bit longer than others. I'll get it done. I'll get it done yeah. one of these days, yeah, yeah, but I'm in yeah. no hurry. Yeah. Um, okay. So what about I, you? Did you did you have any books you thought like the author was, you know, stringing you along yeah. or writing down to you or? So, sometimes I really like Chuck Palahniuk, mm -hmm. but a lot of times I get frustrated frustrated with him because it's just he feels like the stories don't feel like he's telling a story so much as just trying to shock. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, how much human misery can I portray before you just realize there's no point to it and move right. on? And sometimes like there's absolutely justification for it, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just like, man, what, 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 what am I even doing here? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so he is definitely, uh, definitely one that I, I my appreciation is not entirely pure. Yeah. Well, he's good when he's good, but... Right. Yeah. I think his best story was actually adapted as a movie then better than it was as a book, so... Which one? Fight Club. See, I, I loved Fight Club, but I felt like it was such a critique of our culture. Yeah. Like, it was this brilliant, brilliant critique of everything about our culture. And so it wasn't just written to shock. Mm. I mean, he was making fun of us, right. all of us. Mm. So like saying you love it is kind of like saying, I love how much he was making fun of me. Yeah. Whenever, I don't know. I was working at Blockbuster Video whenever the movie came out. And uh, we had a like long like poster that was actually four different posters that you, you know, mm -hmm. put together in a grid. And somebody stole one of the grids, but not the rest of it. And... <laughs> So the joke was like, there's a tiny little fight club in Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Project, was it Project Chaos or whatever? Yes. Yeah. Ventrier as a director is very much one of those storytellers that I just feel like like his he gets off on uh, punishing his audience mm -hmm. with misery and it I, sounds like his actors and actresses too but yeah yeah I, yeah um, and I, I think sometimes storytellers get so become you know they're so in love with the impact they're having on their audience that they just throw things in there just to continue yeah like getting that reaction like a a child that's forgotten by its parents so gets into trouble just so that yeah so that the attention comes right and um i man i hate i hate stories like that whenever i feel like i'm just being emotionally manipulated yeah doesn't feel true it's just like yeah Okay, so Kristen, tell us about our writing prompt of the week. Okay, we are asking that 
you write about an experience you had while reading a really heavy book. Yeah. So whatever that is, how it made you feel, things that made you think. Did you put it in the freezer? Like, what's his name from <laughs> Friends? Right. Whatever you had to do or maybe a realization you had while reading it, maybe write about that 500 words or less and send it to us. Or um, do a micro story on Twitter and tag us on it. That would also be amazing. Yeah, at Literati Press. Yes. Um, so what are you reading? I'm reading Speaker for the Dead by Orson Scott Card, which is the sequel to Ender's Game. And I'm about 100 pages in and I can't put it down. It's oh, nice. really, really good. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm reading East of West. Uh, it's from Image Comics. Uh, writer is Jonathan Hickman. And it is... Um, I'm into whatever the year two or whatever. Um, and it is a fractured U.S. Um, which basically was set off by the Native American tribe, some of the tribes coming together uh, during the Civil War to invade the North to create another front, which basically forced a stalemate. And the U.S. fractured into several, like five different countries. Uh, China eventually came over as well, and so there's a little empire on the West Coast. And so there's all these very, and then it progresses it to present day, or a little into the future, and there's all these factions um, and different, um, like, so the Native American tribes, they are very closed and insular, but they're also technologically advanced beyond everybody else. A free slaves started their own nation, and it's just really fascinating for just all the cultural issues that it deals with. But in the midst of it, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are, you know, roaming the earth. And they were supposed to start the end of the world, but something kind of came in the way. And then death kind of abandoned them for a woman he loves. And so now um, the three horsemen out of the apocalypse are going to kill death. And it's just just this web everywhere. And then, then there's this organization that wants to kickstart the end of the world. And it's it's nuts. It's great. Really, really great, though. Yeah. It sounds good. I've read the first three uh -huh. of those, but not the whole. And it, I love them, so I yeah. need to read more of them. Um, well, very good. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Gabriel Galeer is the composer who did the music, mood music. Michael Martin did our theme song. Sail Plunge is our host. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.